music dance experience. Don't pervert a handbook passage to me, okay? You are listening to a Lorehounds Plus Properly Howard production. Today we cover Defiant Jazz, the seventh episode of the first season of Severance. Hey, if you're a Star Wars fan and you like it when Properly Howard and the Lorehounds get together, David, John, myself, and Steve got together recently to rewatch the Star Wars Holiday Special. Do a search for that by searching for the Lorehounds or go to thelorehounds.com. All right, here is stand-up comic Steve Osborne. Steve, it's always a really effective storytelling technique when someone throws up after they witness a murder. Mm -hmm. It works for me every time. I'm like, yeah, that's cliche, I know. But I, I can just imagine that like I don't throw up a lot, but I just feel like that would be my go-to move. Yeah, see, I'm so I'm so reluctant to vomit that I wonder. Like I almost want to witness a murder just so I can see if I still have that same like control. <laughs> yeah, my go-to move would be to like spill my DNA all over the crime scene. <laughs> that would be my move. I don't throw up a lot either, but I feel like yeah, that's the right response. And I and I, I feel like I've seen that a lot in shows and movies or whatever, but I feel like every single time I see it, I think, yeah, that's pretty believable, pretty good. But I, I, I do kind of feel bad for the actors who have to do that. Well, you don't. You think they're actually throwing up? No, they they but they have to have something gross in their mouth, right? Well, I mean, maybe maybe it's maybe it's pudding, maybe it's delicious. <laughs> maybe they have, maybe the reason why they take then I feel so many, bad that they have to spit it out. There's so many takes is because I swallowed it again. <laughs> well, it looks gross. Of course, you probably have these method actors who like, no, I want real vomit. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It doesn't have to be mine. It does not have to be mine, but I really want to experience the But vomit. it needs to be vomit. Maybe if it's somebody else's vomit, that will also induce my regular vomit. I mean, or dog vomit. I mean, like, how bad could dog vomit be? They they, they want to eat it immediately. <laughs> right. It's got to be pretty good. Yeah, when you got to, like, run to, like, do, do one of two things. Make sure the dog is not on, like, carpet, which is their favorite. Uh, or, like, they jump on the bed to throw up. I love the idea that they're like, well, this just prevents the splash. Like they're, I mean, I don't know what they're thinking. Like they're, they like the vomit so much that one, they like, they can't wait to eat it, but they also don't want it to like get hurt. <laughs> they just want a piece of fabric to suck on later. Yeah. <laughs> Never works out for them though. And thus concludes our severance recap. <laughs> Defiant jazz. I feel like every episode gets better. I feel, yeah. Every episode gets better of this show. I, it's not like it had a lull or something. I'm like, mm, yeah, that one was not great. I feel like usually with these things, that you'll have at least one episode in the middle that's kind of like, mm, did you need it? Is it a little yeah, filler? The, the, the meandering something or other, right? You know, like Rickon Rick and has trouble with laundry or something. <laughs> Rick and stubbed his toe really bad. 
Yeah. So fan, what a fantastic episode. Fan, I mean, and it's got me, you know, it answers a bunch of questions and then just a wealth of more information this episode. Right. Uh, well, Mark is meeting with Rugabi. Grainer enters the building following a tip from campus security and tells Mark he works with him. Rugabi kills Grainer and gives Mark his access card, telling him to bring it to his innie. Mark has an awkward exchange with Alexa. Really interesting choice to break the episode before this murder. I mean, doesn't right. doesn't like the like a murder of a key character. Doesn't that seem like that would go at the end of an episode? Yeah, yeah, you would think, right? So that's an interesting take because uh, we just saw a lot, right? I mean, they and that could have been a big, a big buildup. It's it's fascinating that it it opens with this kind of like action packed sequence uh-huh. where where they do something where the murder, the murder on the outside of Lumen becomes just sort of a precursor to the bigger reveals that are going to come along. Yeah. You know, it's wild. Yeah. Or the other the other place that they could have broke it is. You know, Rugabi says, I put that chip in your head and I'm the only one that can disengage it or something like that. That would have been a big moment. You know, Mark finds out that she's the person that put the chip in his head and then break the episode there. Um, I mean, this show is really unpredictable, aside from the, the barfing after a murder. Um. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm I'm sitting here thinking, wow. I don't think I I don't think another show would have done it like this. I feel like nine shows out of ten would have ended the show at the, at the big the big climactic dramatic moment. It leaves you wanting to know well what what's the meeting going to entail, and then the meeting entails something really like huge. I mean, they kill off a pretty significant character, and I mean, it's not like Mark lives a life uh, where murder happens <laughs> you know like he, he's not right. like he's not he's he's just li- leads a very ho-hum existence so it's like this this all like for his audi is like such a such a jarring <laughs> sequence that he's just you know also trying to do while he's pretending to still be in bed i guess the other way to look at this is that this meeting was supposed to reveal something to mark and you know reveal something to us about the nature of severance. But by killing Grainer, it's almost like, oh no! And then you've forgotten why he wanted to meet with Rugabi in the first place. Yeah, right. So, And then and everything has to be disrupted. Um, yeah, you, and, you disrupted and- the storyline and all of a sudden, you know, you can kind of keep Mark in the dark a little bit longer and you can keep the, you know, the, the major reveals hidden for a little bit longer. Yeah, and then he gets back to the house, and now he has to focus on trying to just not deal with it. That's the part that I think is like the most is another interesting is like he gets there, and it's like there isn't like he's obviously shaken up, but there's something interesting about his. He just sort of copes a little bit. I mean, you know, it's like is he, you know, what does the severance procedure do to somebody? You know, it almost seems like like he's not freaking out. I mean, he's kind of methodical. To our knowledge, this is the first time he's ever witnessed a murder. Mm-hmm. He's kind of an accomplice. He's, I mean, clearly 
he tries to lie at first, right? He's he's mm-hmm. telling Alexa, I, I needed a glass of water, do you? And then she's like, dude, I've been up for an hour, and you were not here, and I was not dreaming. So yeah, explain you yourself. Him. But the reality is that he's been kind of weird ever since she met him. Yeah, this continues with the, what you talked about before, which was like, what, what's what's her deal? <laughs> I mean, I guess... What's I guess, this guy bringing to the table? <laughs> I guess it, it, you give a guy a second, third chance, you start to think, no, he's not getting any less weird. <laughs> yeah. But I hadn't seen him, you know, in the middle of the night post coitus. So now I get a, I get a glimpse of that weirdness. So it turns out every single time he has a one night stand, he has to commit murder. <laughs> Either murder a stranger. <laughs> so uh, then he he kind of tries to cover for himself. I, you know, a couple of things are going on in his head at once. First, he's thinking, I could I could have an alibi here. You know, if she's with me. And she thinks I was here all night. There's no way I could have been involved with this murder. Right. But now, all the, not only do I not have an alibi, uh, this person is a witness to opportunity. This person right. knows exactly that I had left the, the house at this time of night, and I didn't get back till this time of night, exactly, exactly. when the murder happens. And, and so what he decides to do is try to sort of make it something emotional about the relationship. Like, you know... It's a big deal for me that we had sex, and I don't know what to really think about. I had to go out and drive. He's clearly not doing this well, right? Uh, which, of course, and it's pretty on brand. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. And and then the question is, are there real police in this world? You know, do 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 police actually function the way police normally function? Or is this all kind of going to get swept under the rug by Lumen? Well, the thing I think is interesting is that um, we're assuming this is the same, the person he's meeting, like she did, she was the severance, she worked for Lumen, right? Um, Right, right, Rigabi. Yeah, so Rigabi didn't really hesitate to obliterate Grainer. <laughs> no, she was pretty decisive about and you don't just keep a, an aluminum bat around just just because. Right. Right. So so with that you get the I mean, you know, I don't know how much of that we're supposed to to infer, but if if given that she knows what the stakes are, at least so either she knows that this will, you know, Lumen has got that kind of power, this is gonna end. Mm-hmm however they choose so you, you know what difference does it make or she knows more about this world potentially um at least she has more she has more information and more knowledge of lumen than uh than mark does certainly yeah uh, so you know so it's hard to tell if she's like part of this like sort of uh you know a rebellious collective and and it's by any means necessary but but it was pretty casual. I mean, not like casual, casual, but it's, there wasn't a lot. It was like, hey, let's just hurry up and move this. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Like time, you know. <laughs> and you didn't necessarily get the sense that that was what her mission to meet Mark was in the first place. But as far as we know. but Right. Right. So, okay. Yes. So she, clearly she's in some kind of inner circle. And who knows how how sort of close to the center she is, but... She's a neuroscientist and and a pretty good one. 
and so she knows probably a lot more about Lumen than a lot of the characters that we've met so far. And she knows that Grainer has to die. Or at least that's how she's acting. Right. All right. So what are the what are the precautions? Is she more worried about Lumen finding out about who killed Grainer? Or that Mark is on to the scent or that and I guess this is kind of my point, is that she doesn't seem all that worried that like the police will arrest her for murder. I, I just don't think <laughs> yeah. that, that the police are actually a fully functioning entity in this world. There's a lot we haven't seen in this world, right? We see a very we get a very uh at this point mark focused perspective on this world mm-hmm. um and it expands a little bit now that we see more with devon and the and the uh her experiences with the birth and post-birth but uh but yeah so it's like we don't get we don't know we haven't seen this place doesn't just like we don't see cities really we mm-hmm. see a little bit like see like we see like maybe marketplaces and um I mean, we saw some police take away pd you know right pd collapses and and dies but Usually with shows like this, if there is a policeman, he's going to be on like the the Lumen payroll, or you know mm-hmm. his his chief will actually ha- you know have some kind of relationship with you know some bigwig in the city, so that the police actually isn't functioning as police should function. It would be a very odd move for this show to actually bring in a different kind of authority into the story. Right, an independent authority from the story, which I would welcome it if they did, but I just don't get the sense that that's the story that they're telling. Right, no, I agree. Do you have anything else to say about the 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 Mark and Alexa or Mark and Ragabi plot here? It's, it's it's crazy to think that that's not the like like you said the big yeah the big finish. That's just that's how we open up. And on to the next thing. Okay, just to get well, just to get him is... just to get him the key card, almost. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like almost like that's kind of wild. What it does is like we need to get the any the uh, the key card. So this is the best way to do it. Well, and it's an interesting thing that's particular to this show is that this guy witnessed a murder, and you would think like, well, that's going to sort of occupy his thoughts today, <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> nope, nope. He's gonna go. He's gonna go down. <laughs> <laughs> and, and really be into the uh, the music uh, dance experience for a little while. <laughs> right. A little more unsettling. <laughs> well, we're, we're going to get there for sure. We're going to get there. Milchick tests the, the new and improved doors and then retrieves Dylan's contraband from the restroom. He returns the laminated card to Bert. Milchick explains overtime contingency to Dylan and attempts to buy his silence with quote-unquote extra perks. <laughs> then he escorts Mark to his desk, where he will now be safely situated. I continue to be puzzled by why so many of these Lumen employees are acting independently from each other. It's like, Milchick right. doesn't seem to want to consult Cobell. Cobell doesn't seem to want... They, e- they each seem to be running their own independent scams. On the side, you know? Right. Yeah, and even, um, like, Grainer was just, like, I mean, he he at least appeared that he was 
Like he was still working for Lumen like orders. It feels like. Well, Grainer went to Cobell's house last episode and said, do you want to come with me? I'm going to go Mm -hmm. follow Mark. And she's like, no, what are you talking? You know, it was almost like, go do your own work. So again, these they're in the, they're occupying the place of henchmen. Right. Right. It's like Lumen's the big baddie. We haven't really met. We haven't met the board for sure. Right. Right. But all of these people that are kind of acting as henchmen are trying to do so as almost if they're like private contractors. Uh, it's very strange. Very strange. Fundamental shift in D- Dylan's character. Um, you know, I think I think that this, we talked about the shift in Mark's character early. Helly kind of never bought into Lumen. Right. Right. So th- that was sort of, I think she was sort of integral for getting Mark to see the reality of it. And then we kind of saw Mark shift either last episode or the episode before. And all of a sudden Dylan has something to care about. That's not finger traps. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Something. I mean, it's kind of crazy. If you think about it, it's like, why are finger traps so important? Well, because that's all he has. Right. He has nothing else. That, that's 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 what gives his life purpose here is the finger trap. And so and so now he's now he knows that there's more. It's like I at least know I have a son in a closet. Right. <laughs> yeah, and last time we talked, we you know, I I mistakenly assumed that oh, well this is must have happened before because of the way that the Audi interacted mm-hmm. with Milchek. But so now the I interpret that as they must have just had a conversation and he said, I'm from Lumen and I need to do something. And, and he was compliant. Yeah. But it, to our knowledge, it he doesn't. Because like on one hand, I'm like, well, then maybe they made it so that he forgot. But they didn't because like they would have done that again. Um, right. Any, you know, any version is has to be has to have it explained and, and kind of be coaxed to keep it between them and uh, not to upset the rest of the team. And so that, so that sort of changed it, the, the perspective for, uh, for that whole experience. Like this experience is sort of like a nuclear option. Right. Yeah. You get the sense that this, this is, this was an emergency. So then the question comes back, like he stole a laminated car and hit it in a card and hit it in the bathroom. Yeah. He didn't even take it out. Like I thought maybe he'd taken it out, but <laughs> what, what, are, what kind of emergency are we talking about here? Like wh- why does this particular card have a- any significance at all? I, I mean, these are the kinds of things that I hope that they can pay off because I mean, I guess I could have just imagined that Milchik's a psychopath. I mean, he dances right. like a psychopath. Oh boy! <laughs> but, but oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, why is this? Why is this the break glass moment for Milchek? Um, after Cobell posing as Selvig models breastfeeding for Devin, she then entertains her with a story of of lactating gone awry. <laughs> Devin. <laughs> Devin says that she suspects Gabby Gabby severed her memories to avoid the ch- the pains of childbirth. This character is so over the top. 
Right. <laughs> and then you, so so you wonder like, is Devin okay? Like, is Devin like, <laughs> like she's using her breasts as a fire hose? Devin thinks that this is funny. Does, yeah. Does this change your your feelings about Devin at all? Because clearly, you know, Cobell is acting a part. Right, no doubt. But I guess if you're, if sort of your default normal is Rickon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the, the face on the, on the lactation instruction doll. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> just, another, another problem. Just, just an angry little doll. Yeah, uh, I mean, I just laughed really hard, <laughs> and the way she, the way she kind of throws the doll to the side. Oh, I know, it just sort of chucks it. Yeah, that's yeah, and that's the thing. It's like it's like the little little moments of comedy, but are they also like revealing? You know, I mean, it's it just it, it becomes this very, um, just like surreal. Yeah, real if, world. If she was in my room, I'd be thinking, can we talk about your doll? Like. Yeah, this is the this is the choice. <laughs> Why? Why does your doll look like a demon? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I would be more curious about that than the lactating gone awry story for sure. <laughs> um <laughs> Okay, here we go. We're finally we're finally where we want to be here. Uh, Milchik <laughs> engages in music dance experience with the department as a prize for Heli. Dylan refuses to participate and eventually attacks Milchik. Enraged that he cannot know any more information about his child, Milchik leaves to report the incident to Cobell. Dylan, meanwhile, tells the Department of Lumen's ability to wake them up outside of the severed floor known as overtime contingency. I think we might have talked about this before, but Mil just Milchik's dancing is just I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sinister. It, it, it's a weapon. Yeah, he weaponizes dance. <laughs> it's almost, yeah, I kind of knew that character was not to be trusted. But like he's really good at it. Like he's he's yeah. he's really good at it, and it's very very disconcerting to me. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's just especially because the the scene is so well constructed. Because um, I mean, the assumption is we see him dance like they see him dance like this all the time, I guess, right? And they don't know that <laughs> it's psychotic behavior. Um, well, I like I like the various dances. Like even like Helly's not normally into this, but even she's mesmerized. It's it's right. like it's like he's he's like a full body hypnotist. Well, there's this it's something to be said for like, you know, Heli while she's kind of this grounding force of like like almost logic in terms of like, well, why would you guys want to be here? Who cares about these trinkets and these, you yeah. know, perks and blah blah blah. She's still a child, right? I mean, <laughs> sure. in, in in terms of everything. And so it's like flashing lights. Some sweet tunes, you know. Basically, it's an extra break. I mean, it's it's hard to imagine. It's sort of like, what would I do if, the, if someone was dancing like that around me? Like, I I could see myself like trying to bop up and down like Mark, 
just to, but you know you're you're watching this and you're like I I don't know if I can keep up with this. <laughs> I have you ever been to a, to a work Christmas party? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, I mean that's essentially what this is. <laughs> Someone's dancing problematically and we're just trying to pretend it's not happening. <laughs> not like this. This is like you know, it's it's like what are you doing with a machete? You know that <laughs> Yeah, like, I yeah. thought I thought we were gonna have a balloon toss. Why did you bring a machete? This party, I, I kind of feel like the fact that he can dance like this and he reserves it for this, you know, special occasion. I, I'm, I feel menaced by it. I feel menaced by it. <laughs> the I and then Dylan's eruption. I mean, he just bites him. <laughs> It's interesting, the choice. I mean, it, it really kind of brings us back to, like you said, like their children, right? You know, and la- I think last episode I said like Selvig is or Cobell is presenting a sort of evil third grade teacher, and the idea of sort of locking them in their room—it's sort of very infantilizing. And then, of course, what is Dylan's? recourse he he bites him right so right this is sort of like something a, a second year old, a, a second grader would do but oh it's so great it was so great just because milchek his clothes look like they've never been worn before like they just look like like th- this is i just took the tags off these clothes and uh, and so to see sort of the the blood seeping through the shirt like that was was in the pretty you know Pretty sterile environment. Yeah, sort of brought brought a level of savageness to the to this environment. Yeah, and I I love the this the scene where they all are like kind of huddled together, like with their their hands on on uh-huh, Dylan. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a real uh, like a changing tribe moment, you know. Like it it's uh, they definitely it, it's galvanizing at this point, and it's which is kind of interesting right and it's especially as we get more we get more to understand Irv's galvanization later but but this is you get the sense this is maybe the first time that even Irv has really like attached himself to a group uh maybe beyond just mm-hmm. uh work protocol mm-hmm. <clears throat> um steve in our younger days we once uh dj'd a 80s dance party yes indeed i think i was sort of like the party planner and i and i hired you as the dj yeah and i I don't know if you remember but uh you know we had we had we really put a lot of thought into the playlist because it was sort of like we really need to introduce these children of the 90s to the importance of 80s music right right (laughs) you know this is sort of it, it, at the time, it was very important. The playlist was yes. very important. And what we did was we set aside a disc that only had one song on it. Because we thought if there was ever a lull in the party, <laughs> and we need to get this party back on track, we need easy access to a song that's sort of not on the playlist, but will absolutely jumpstart this party. Do you remember what that song was? I don't. Eye of the Tiger. 
Got it. Okay. Well, of course. Of course it would be. <laughs> it was it was Eye of the Tiger. And um I kind of feel like Milchek's dancing is a little like that. It's like I have a party trick that I know will change the mood. But I only it's I only use it in case I really need it. <laughs> Yeah, this is yeah, yeah. This was his eye of the tiger. He's like, "All right, I'm going to turn on the lights. I'm going to do a, a music dance experience, and I'm going to change the tone of this room single handedly." Yeah, and it's a it's one of these. I mean, there's a lot uh, there's a lot to it, right? I mean, even though it's kind of a ridiculous perk, it's it's a perk nonetheless, and uh, it it's made in such a way where okay, maybe. Uh, It'll get it'll bring Heli a little bit more into uh, in into the fold. Well, it and, works on Heli. Uh, it works. It, I mean, even you know, <laughs> even Irv is sort of like, you know, Irv, Irv is lovesick and he's worried. They're all trapped now. They can't want. They can't wander the halls. Yeah. So there, you know, so there's a, there's a, definitely a tonal shift. Maybe it maybe it'll be a distracting enough for Dylan because you know he loves his perks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, you know, the ultimate, the ultimate moment, like this, this, um, this episode for, for Dylan and Irv, you know, to make their, mm-hmm. to make their change, to make their switch. Yeah. This is their conversion episodes, right? Yeah. And, and it's done in, in two really wonderful ways that it like Dylan betrays, you know, the perk. Mm-hmm. And Irv, you know, betrays the sort of just protocol, right? The the uh, sort of the, the the legends of everything. You know, so it's really something. It's a really fascinating. They have, and again, like ch- like children, or whatever. They only they only have so much, and they only have so many things that they can really gravitate to- towards. And they have to push them both aside so that they can <laughs> now form this team, <laughs> this rebellion. Um. Mark and Helly scheme to find the security office. Inside, they find Lumen strictly monitors all of its employees. The overtime contingency is activated using two levers. Dylan offers to stay behind after hours to wake Mark and Helly up on the outside. A lot of details in this room. I don't know if you did you pause and look at some of the screens and monitors and stuff? I try to look at some of them, yeah. I'm always a little bit reluctant to do this kind of stuff because I feel like, like, do they know we're going to do this? Or is it like, no, we're we're going to show you the information and just assume that you're going to keep watching. So I I imagine that they they think that some of their viewers are going to pause and look at and see everything on the screen. But I almost feel like as a storyteller in this medium... You're playing. You're sort of re- flashing the information at about the speed you want it revealed. Right. Yeah. No, I think so. Yeah. So, how often do you feel like you're pausing television to kind of? Not. Not a lot. I mean, sometimes, like if if I think of it, like if it's it's something like oh, like sometimes, like I was watching a, a Parks and Rec episode where um, Leslie Nope was making like this extensive almost vision board of mm-hmm. some sort. And and so there was a lot of really good jokes in it. They didn't have anything to do with like moving the plot forward, but there was like, 
there was a lot of effort on the writing team's part, and so I got a real kick out of that. So those types of things. Sometimes you'll get that on The Simpsons too. It's like mm-hmm. someone put a lot of effort into kind of creating these throwaway jokes that they think that ninety eight percent of the people are not going to see. And of of course, those are the kinds of things that I'm interested in. So did you gather anything from some of the information on these screens? No. All right, so I kind of had a couple things that made me wonder. So we, we saw a bunch of names of people we don't know, right? So- right. That, that That's what I – because that gave me a chance to see, like, maybe a little bit more how many departments there might be. Right. And how they're clustered. And and they seem to be – yeah, they, they seem to be clustered by initials. Mm-hmm. Like there was, you know, like a Catherine M, a Melissa O, a Dan S. So one thing that I noted was that, and I don't know if I'm inferring too much, but there's an Anita I and there's a Jason I. So I don't know if I'm inferring too much from same initial last name. Mm -hmm. But Anita I had a red dot. And everyone else had a green dot next to them. Hmm. And I wondered, like, oh, are these two married? The, the, the names are not in alphabetical order, by the way. Are these two married, which would explain the same last name, and maybe they've done something similar by separating them in the same way hmm. that Mark and Miss Casey have been separated that's interesting. I don't it's 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 hard to say. However, in on the next screen there was a Julia B and an Alice B, so same initial last name and one of them had a red dot and one of them did not. One of them was That's red and one was green. So it makes me wonder is this part of Lumen's experiment that they take married couples um they separate them and they see how well the severance is working. And the reason why I'm asking that is because earlier, when Miss Zelvig is acting as a lactation consultant, it seems like she's gone through this big ruse just to ask this one question. Does Mark think that she that he ever sees his wife? Right. Yeah, and uh, another thing I think that's interesting is that why is why is she Miss Casey and not Casey like <laughs> Casey G S, or right? <laughs> yeah, Casey S. Like Right. See, and that's the thing with um because there's Milchek, there's Grainer, Miss mm-hmm. Casey. So the 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 I think the trick for me with Miss Casey is and why, you know, now we're kind of jumping ahead to the big reveal at the end of mm-hmm. this episode, is her moniker almost suggested to us as uh as viewers and to the lumen employees that she's kind of on that same level mm-hmm. like she she works for lumen but is not severed yeah but of course you get the sense you get the sense that she's she's working i mean obviously she got sent to the break room um but you do get a sense that like well she she's not she's not talked about in the same way like she, she's not referred to. Well, in the same and she's way. got a different rank, right? Mm-hmm. She, like she almost mi- she's Miss Miss Casey. <laughs> Miss Casey sounds again like a kindergarten teacher. It's like you're being sent to the nurse's office or something. Um, 
And yeah, you don't even know is Casey her first name? Is it her last name? It's an odd thing. And of course, I think that narratively, you know, if her last name was Miss S, maybe that would be a little bit, maybe that would ruin the reveal, I guess. I don't know. So yeah, uh, odd, very odd. So the other thing about this is that on one of the screens, there was sort of an elevator status. So they're monitoring everyone who goes up and down an elevator and they've separated it by non-severed and severed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that Zelvig is at least listed as non-severed. Right. So at least on this one screen, she's non-severed. Yeah, and that gives us that gives us a you know, and we could take it as, as its word, right? But like everything, we we just don't trust anything at this point. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. So even the clues that we go to find, we're like, yeah, but maybe, maybe those, mm-hmm. maybe those are lies. <laughs> um. So yeah. So the red dot and the green dot were sort of interesting to me. Like most, most of the employees had a green dot next to them. Um. I don't know what the red dot means. Uh, right. So inter- interesting. Um. Clearly, Mark had a green dot. And they did not show us what department Miss Casey was in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be curious to find, you know, maybe in a future episode, maybe if we do see a something that has her name on a chart to see whether right. or not she has a red or a green dot would be interesting to me. <clears throat> Irv departs to O&D worried about Bert's safety upon uh, upon arrival. He discovers that Bert is retiring and openly berates a non-severed Milchek for exploiting the severed employees. For exploiting the severed employees. <clears throat> Great Chris Walken scene. Fantastic. Oh yeah. The, the- oh man, the the, <laughs> the Audi just Trying his darndest, <laughs> like, but so honest, but like, but like, no, but, but, but I don't know. I don't know who you are, but maybe in some way, <laughs> some indelible way. <laughs> I don't even know how many, of, I don't even know how many of you, there are of you. And... It's like, he was just, just at the, like, it felt like such a, uh, like a, like a real time processing of something. And it just, <laughs> <laughs> was... the way it ends with him just looking at his watch, like, oh, time's up. <laughs> and then on the screen it says bye bye. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> really good, really good. All right, so fantastic walking scene. And it made me think I don't tend to think of Christopher Walken as primarily a comedic actor. But if you think about it, like his roles over the last thirty years really accomplished comedic actor. Yeah. And he's one of these guys that you wouldn't normally associate just with comedy or whatever because of his early career, but mostly he does comedy now and really good. He's really good at it. Yeah. Well, and he was always a great um, SNL host. Always fantastic. Yeah. Even if he's just reading cue cards or whatever. Right. Um, You know, happy to make fun of himself. Uh, and 
I don't know. I guess I I think like if if you're a fan of the Deer Hunter and some of sort of his, his early personas, um, but even like in Pulp Fiction, his like you, like you don't think of Pulp Fiction as a comedy primarily, or, or at least most people don't. But his monologue in Pulp Fiction is one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it's the and it's it's kind of that same approach uh-huh. with this with this particular uh, segment because it's it's comically absurd in the context of what we're seeing and, and who he's talking to, um, but it's delivered with with earnest and it's and it's there's a there's a a very like true like it's a sincerity to it like all the things he's saying is like well now now that i think about it you wouldn't even like you you wouldn't even know i wouldn't know mm-hmm. and it's like but it's like the most depressing way <laughs> you could possibly address a group of people to say i'm sure you mean a lot to me but i will never know <laughs> well the other thing about this is that almost don't even in almost to the point where like i don't even know if i care to be honest i, but, I don't uh, know enough to care but i'm sure if i did know maybe i would care yeah uh, <laughs> The other thing about this is it confirms what we've seen several times in the show is that if you really want to reward someone who's been severed, you give them a tiny glimpse of their life outside of the severed wing. Mm. You know, if if you're going to go to the wellness center, Miss Casey's going to tell you things about yourself. Right. And that's going to, you know, make it really to show that these people <laughs> desperately want to know they may not say it but they desperately want to know who they are and why they're there and it, Cause, yeah because you don't know the purpose of even your job yeah it's it's like heaven is real and things are happening in heaven and i'm and i can just give you a little taste of what they're talking about up there but the way that they reveal it is usually <laughs> like it's it's all pretty dull you know, it's like here's Chris, here's Christopher Walken's character talking about how he doesn't really know them, and, and it's all sort of, it's on a very bland screen, and he's kind of sitting there and looking at his watch. This is a kind of reinforce like there is stuff happening out there. You can you can trust us. It's actually more boring out there than it is it is in here. Yeah, that's in yeah. They kind of it it doesn't give them it gives them the the knowledge that that yeah there is a you out there that's doing other things but not like yeah you don't you don't get their you, you get their their hopes <laughs> up but not like oh man i wish i was that instead <laughs> well and it's also kind of there to reinforce like bird is not dying bird is just going to a different place mm-hmm. <laughs> right <laughs> going he's going to a farm <laughs> So, but, you know, of course, this is all very, very different for Dylan, who actually spent some time with, you know, very momentarily. But with his son, it's sort of like much more than they wanted to reveal. Right. Because now that's all I can think about. Yeah. They're willing to reveal his walk-in closet, (laughs) not willing to reveal that he has a son. Um, So, anyway, and then, of course... Irving melts down. And that was sort of the last domino to fall because 
you after the last episode you could you really would believe that Dylan wants to burn the place down. Hell, he always wanted to burn the place down. You you followed the, Mark along this journey, but I think up until last episode you couldn't really imagine Irving. One, I mean, for for Irving, this place is like utopia. And so for him to say, let's burn it, let's burn this place down, it seems like a massive conversion experience for him. Well, because I think he realizes that uh, they could do that to him at any time. Well, he he finally has some meaning in his life. You know, it's not just that he's not just living to abide by the handbook. Um, He found love. And that to once you once you found love, that's something real, and all the rest of the stuff is just seems totally fake. Yeah, and I think he's also getting a sense too of like, oh, this is this is what happens if you're insubordinate. <laughs> they're just gonna you reti- go away. They're gonna retire you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, and of course, you know, we could bring this to a a meta level, like. You know, someone who's devoted their life to what they feel is meaningful work, and then the the company can just say, "You're done." You know what what that actually does to people, right? Um, hmm. yeah, let's burn this place to the ground again. Another sort of mic drop moment could have ended the episode there. I, yeah, I, w- I would have been sure. totally happy if you ended it right there, but of course, there's more. Man, it takes its time to do the reveal. Yeah. All right. So Cobell learns that Grainer is dead and communicates with the board via proxy. She presses her claim that Petey was reintegrated and offers to share uh, her findings in person. The board agrees and invites her to the Egan Family Gala. Gala? Gala? I think it's gala, right? I think it's a gala. Have you ever been to a gala? I don't know. I mean, I guess it would, unless it was specifically said, if you you come into this gala, I wouldn't know of a gala that I was in versus maybe mm. a, 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 a a soiree. Mm. <laughs> What's fancier, a gala or a soiree? I feel like a gala maybe is more, um, a little more showy and pomp and circumstance, whereas a soiree feels like... Um, so what, like there might be so I sort of feels like there might like be a chance for a hand job. <laughs> soiree like an over the over the pants. There's, there's absolutely gonna be French sex workers at the soiree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But gala, there's gonna be the paparazzi. <laughs> all right. Okay. Uh, do you, all right, do you think do you think that Natalie, who's the board for the pro or the proxy for the board? Do you think that she's actually got someone on the other line? I don't know. I'm always fascinated by the like almost static of the of the board. I mean, Natalie is in quite a position of power. I kind of do I kind of do believe that there is a board and that that they are on the other line. But what a power move. I mean, here's the thing. In Natalie's position, how many times would you have these meetings without anyone on the other line? <laughs> right. right. I mean, you could make anyone do anything. Right, exactly. 
Uh, so uh, yeah, again, <laughs> uh, this show is is good at getting you to question these things. All right. Finally, after work, Alexa visits a drunken Mark who scares her off by ripping up a photo of Gemma. After she leaves, Mark reassembles the photo, revealing it to be Miss Casey. Um, fantastic performance. Fantastic performance. I mean, he's yeah. He just to- he he conveys the the sense that he's this guy's a total douche when he's drunk. Mm. But just amazed that anyone would think that he's acting douchey. Right. Yeah. Exactly. He's so he's incredulous. He's like, wow, like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Adam, Adam Scott is really just such a a great choice for this, this character and like some of the subtleties. um, And like, did you, (laughs) when you buy it, like you, you buy this childlike rebellion that's going on, 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 on the inside and you, you buy this, Uh this drunken, depressed, uh, just kind of hapless guy on the outside. And it, and it, you talk about things that would like beg other questions. Like, then this begs the other questions. Like, well, it feels like he's part of a big experiment, but who cares? <laughs> you know, like, like who cares about him? Like why, you know? And it's, it's, but I, I guess that's kind of like the point, right? Like, it's like, well, cause you're just kind of a lab rat. You're a baby goat. Who cares? <laughs> let's just see, let's mess with the mind of somebody that kind of, you know, maybe, maybe doesn't, doesn't matter a whole bunch. So again, the question that I always come up with is like, who's normal in this world and who's not? Cause Gemma mm-hmm. definitely presents as like, she doesn't seem to have anything. She's not involved with Lumen in any way. She doesn't really, doesn't seem to care deeply for anything that's ha- anything else that's happening in the town. She's like, She's just kind of normal. Um, you mean Alexa? Oh, yeah, Alexa. That's right. Alexa. Yeah, Alexa just seems to me like she's not that invested in what's going on with Lumen. So, like, she, yeah, it's like it's one of these people that's almost apolitical. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, everybody, you know, we, how many, I mean, you could, you could strike up a, a political conversation almost anywhere and someone's going to have some sort of a strong opinion, but then you run into people that's like, ah, I just don't keep up with that. And you're like, huh? And then you go, well, that, Maybe that's maybe that's right, you know. And so, because I mean, Lumen is obviously a big force, right? I mean, it's a it's a it's a politicizing force. It's a it's a corporation, but it feels like more than that. And um, you know, that you see the dinner party that we we get introduced to Rickon yeah. in, and it's like it's a it's a point of conversation among pseudo intellectuals. Um, but Alexa, it's, it's she's she's such a bizarre character because, like we keep coming back to, is like she's choosing to give Mark all these other chances, and there must just be some slim pickings out there in this town. Well, she's almost like when we we're doing Game of Thrones, you know, you introduce Sam Tarly into a world that's totally brutal, and that that kind of stands out. Like, wow, this this person is totally bizarre because they seem normal um right that's what she is she seems normal but set against this the world that they painted for us she's the outlier right 
That's a good point. So, all right. All right. So we find out that Miss Casey is Gemma. Uh, this really worked on me first, first go around. No. <laughs> I mean, like you needed more, right? Like there's so much. Well, because you know, there's so much, like I said, to chew on. I mean, Mark, the character's primary motivation. Like, like every, like you can't tell me anything about Mark S that can't be explained by his grief for his dead wife. Right. Um, so it's a little bit like uh, the end of Kill Bill Volume 1 when, well, maybe I, sh- I shouldn't ruin that movie for people. Anyway, it's just, it's... in that movie like 20 years old? <laughs> yes, and yet it's such a fantastic movie. Do we have to do a spoiler alert for we'll, Kill oh, yeah, Bill yeah. volume? We'll, we do a spoiler alert at the end of every episode. We'll, we'll this this one will be dedicated to. If you want to hear, if you want one. how Kill Bill Volume One ends, stay <laughs> tuned to this Severance rewatch. Stick around. <laughs> no, it, it, it absolutely <laughs> changes something core to the main character's motivation. Um, and and now, I mean, I kind of thought Miss Casey was kind of a throwaway character. Right. You know, she she's just one other person to make this office feel weird. And now I think about her totally totally differently now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh and for us, you know, as we'll go into the spoilers part a little bit later, um you know, we've been watching uh Miss Casey differently this time around if you can pull this off i almost would believe that any any one of these other characters has a relation has some kind of crazy reveal uh, about them yeah uh so um shall we do spoilers let's do it the the gala this we, we finally find out that you know this sort of the first mention of the gala, which is going to be, I think, the season finale. Uh, yeah, I believe so. I kind of for it's been a while since I've seen it. I kind of forget. Does Cobell actually make it to the gala? Was she trying to get she to the gala? To get maybe, to it, but had had to go do something else first. This is. <laughs> This is actually not our spoiler section because we don't actually know. Yeah, we don't worry. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Hey, if don't, and if you don't, don't spoil it for us. <laughs> is it the Frank or the Beans? <laughs> 